On this episode, I read the latest news on the Alex Murdoch trial. I go over the FBI allegedly stealing gold in Pennsylvania. I can't get enough of a killer clown story. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including my use of foul language. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for February 27th, 2023. Yeah, I think I do want to go live, YouTube. I really do. It's better than going dead, I suppose. <laughs> How is everybody? Uh, this is the live show for February 27th of 2023. I have an action-packed, information-filled show ready for all of you. I hope you will uh, enjoy it tonight. And uh, before I get started, if you are not, whether you are watching right now or watching later or listening to this as a podcast on February 28th or later, if you are not yet a subscriber to the Unfound Podcast channel on YouTube, please go and do that right now. Please just hit the subscribe button. You're going to like it. You're going to enjoy it. For a audio podcast, we sure do use the YouTube channel a lot for visual stuff. Also, please give this uh, a thumbs up as you are watching tonight or watching later. I don't care when you are watching this. This is important. Please give all of the live shows a thumbs up. Even if you uh, are tuning in for the first time tonight, being that you found this channel, why don't you just go back and give all of the other live shows that I've ever done a thumbs up. Can't hurt. Take you a little time, but it can't hurt. Maybe if you're a little bored or something, you can go back and hit the, the thumbs up button for all previous live shows going back over five years ago. And if you are feeling a little more adventurous, why don't you hit the join button and get some extra stuff that other people do not get. Of course, everybody should be a member. Uh, just hitting that join button down below. So please consider it. So who is in the chat room tonight as we get started right on time at 9 p.m. Eastern? Everything 2023, you know, everything. I remember when you were everything 2020. I knew you when. Hello, Nephew Charles. What's going on with you? Karen, Mark and Indy, what's going on? Jasmine, Katie, The Real from Australia. Thank you for moderating tonight, Cherie. Lisa, Kathy, Marty says, big fan of the podcast. Always catch the live show the day after. Glad I made it to this one. Wow, you, you're tuning in live tonight, Marty. I'll try to uh, not let that put any undue stress on me, undue pressure 
uh, on me being that you're tuning in for the first time. I'll do my best. DLV, good evening, uh, Ed. Bracing for snow in Boston area tonight. How's it going in sunny Florida? Uh, it was a beautiful day here today, DLV, but I did not uh, leave my condo. I, I take that back. I went out of my condo. I went down to the uh, the building's office for a moment and then came back. But that was it. Uh, getting work done today, uh, some of which I will talk about during this live show. Um, so, um, but I really did not partake in the beautiful weather that we had here today. And, but I did see that there were like, like the upper Midwest. I was talking to my buddy Dave from Illinois uh, earlier today about when, you know, really strong winds going through that area. So I do know that there's something going on up toward your area, DLV. So um, good luck with that. Um, I'll try to blow uh, a little bit of warm air your way, whatever I can do. Twinkle. I was just talking to Twinkle before I started the live show tonight. And yes, everything says indeed, Ed, indeed. Okay, thank you. So once again, please give... This a thumbs up as you are watching tonight. Let me just start with a couple personal things, and then we'll go to some unfound stuff, then some national news, and we'll just kind of mix it all together. I got five big national stories that I do want to cover. In fact, a couple of them are from last week. So I want to make sure that I get to them uh, tonight. Um, so, uh, I got to get right to it and I really did not get any questions. At least I don't think I did before the show started tonight. So if you any, have any questions you'd like to ask me off the wall, you know me, I'm, I'm up for answering a lot of different kinds of questions. Uh, and sometimes, uh, if they're not involving disappearances or true crime, maybe even, uh, even better. Just uh, can't really say one way or the other. I'll answer any question that you ask me as long as it's PG rated and it's not too personal. Those are my two standards. I think you can understand why I take great pride in uh, unfound everything that we do here being PG, even though uh, in the podcast, sometimes we do talk about violence and we talk about sex and we talk about addiction and drugs and everything. I'd like to think that we talk it about them in a very educational manner, um, not being salacious or anything like that. So we try to keep it PG. You know that there's no swearing on the podcast by myself or, or the guest. And in fact, sometimes guests do swear <laughs> doing their interviews. And I really don't try. I don't want to tell them they can't say that. Um, because I, you know, it's what we're doing is difficult enough. So I just let them, if they're going to drop a couple F bombs or whatever else, I just let them do that. Then when I go back through, I kind of just edit those out and I'll just silence it just for that split second. And maybe you've heard uh, that in the interviews that I've done. In fact, I think I, at least within the last few months, I know I've had to do that uh, a couple times, but I'm not here to, uh, Say, hey, please don't. I'm not going to do that to my guests. They're just going to do what they're going to do. And then I can edit the those words out later. But you know me, I, I don't swear anything. 
on this uh, show or on the podcast. However, maybe once or twice, if I've uh, had to read something like a text or something regarding a disappearance, if there were swear words in it, maybe I've read that, but that might be about it. So, and we like to keep the chat in here uh, nice and clean as well. Uh, Derek, I love the show. I recently tried to watch a popular podcast on iHeartRadio and it was so discombobulated. I turned it off and listened to one or two of your older podcasts. Well, I hope they were some of the good older podcasts, Derek. Um, you know, I will admit going back to the beginning of Unfound and I've, I've, um, I've had a chance to think about a lot of those first episodes of unfound, because as I've told you, I'm putting together a teachable course on podcasting called how to podcast better than anyone. And on, because I have such a a great social life on Saturday and Sunday night, I was actually doing some video recording of it down in the library with this little library room uh, down on the second floor. And I was doing some recording in there and, and in talking about my experiences, you know, kind of a don't do what I've done kind of thing. And in each section of this teachable course has right at the end of each section, I have a, like a little story, um, whether it has to do with recording or uh, reviews or whatever else. And I have like a horror story or a funny story of something that went wrong. So I've had a chance, Derek, to think about a lot of those first episodes of Unfound. So I hope whatever older podcast episodes you're talking about, I hope uh, they now meet current standards. The Real, we can swear on national TV over here and no one bats an eyelid. I know that, Real. I know it's, you know, we're Puritans over here still in the United States, The Real, even though... um, most of the pornography in the world gets made in this in this country. Can't swear on TV. We're we're a, we're a nation of extremes. The real. What can I tell you? Uh, I just, um, you know, out on the disc golf course, I've been known to uh, be a little R-rated out there once in a while. But other than that, um, it's really not part of my repertoire. Uh, but on the podcast, I realized that uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of adults are listening to the, this podcast when they're in the car with their kids. And when you start, sw- you know, allowing those things in, it really, really, really starts to limit where people can listen to it. And so uh, I'm very cognizant of that. And I want to make listening to the podcast as easy as possible. Um, Melissa, hi, friends. Hi, Ed. I will be jumping on and off here. I hate missing this live. Hello, Melissa. With the with the apostrophe in her last name. How fancy are you, Melissa, with the apostrophe in your last name? That's pretty cool. Uh, Cherie, we have an image to protect over here. We certainly do, Cherie. Katie, hi, Ed. Out of curiosity, do you ever swear in your non-podcast life? Well, I was just talking about that, Katie. Um... I do. Um, The only big rule regarding my swearing and everything is I never swear, never swore in front of my parents. Of course, my mother's gone, but I never swore in front of her. And to this day, I do not swear in front of my dad. My dad certainly swears in front of me. (laughs) But I don't do that. And even when it came to 
uh, the filmmaking that I did, you know, 20 years ago, independent filmmaking and a lot of the stuff that I've written, like books, short stories or novels or whatever else. I really have a hard time injecting that kind of language into that stuff, even though it might have even been appropriate, just to be honest. Um, but for me personally, I've been known to do that. But I I do try to limit it and, um, you know, especially around uh, people that kind of are, dare I say it, on on a pedestal or something in my life, you know. Melissa, Ed, I have to say I consume a lot of podcast content. You're in my top ten in my opinion. You're certainly in the top three. Wow. I would have taken the top ten, Melissa, but I'll even more take the top three. So thank you. That's very nice of you to say, Melissa. Sheree, I've known you five years, and I've probably heard five cuss words from you. And we've talked on the phone a little bit, Sheree. It's just, you know, and it's funny because um, when it comes to my taste in in movies and things, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Pulp Fiction, and we know all sorts of language that was used in that movie, and I'm a big fan of that movie. Uh, I was a huge fan of The Sopranos uh, all those seasons, and we know what kind of language was used in that show. Um, It just depends. Uh, It just seems if it's uh, appropriate. All I can tell you for the work that I've created over the years – I've shied away from it, but when it comes to consuming other people's work, movies, TV shows, or books or whatever, it seems like I'm much more lenient. I guess I'm more lenient of other people than I am for myself. I don't know. So as long as those five cuss words weren't all in the same sentence, yes. Well, I don't know. Um, I, Shree, uh, Shree would pro- probably remember that more than I do, but yeah, that's probably... Um, you know, we Shree and I have had some conversations about things that have uh, ticked me off about whatever regarding the podcast. And so I, I'm sure some of those things have slipped out. I'm not perfect. But uh, so how do, you, how do we get on this tangent? That's pretty funny. You never know when you tune into the live show, you never know which direction it's going to go. That rhymes, by the way. I love that. When you tune into the live show. You never know what direction it's going to go. I love that. Um, hello, Coffee. What's going on tonight, Coffee? Shree, no, that's me. Uh, <laughs> the real. Yes. I uh, probably heard. Yeah, that. No, yeah. I don't. I don't really remember Shree. If you've uh, sworn or not, I just. I don't know. Probably the times I swear the most is when I'm just at home by myself when I'm doing work or something not is not going right and uh, trying to get something done and this is happening and that's happening. That's most often when um, my language goes automatically are out in public. It just depends. All right. Um, so we, we talked about that. Um, Luckily, uh, regarding some of the other things regarding, I guess, myself, very happy that day by day my allergies are going away. 
I think it's been a combination of just the regular stuff that's in the Florida air this time of year, but we have had some of that red tide that's been coming in, although I haven't seen it out in front of my place. I understand that they've had some issues south of here, and that has been known to cause people eye irritation, nose irritation, and breathing issues and everything. So maybe I've picked up a little bit of that too, even though it's not right out in front of my place. But easily today was the best breathing day probably in a month. And maybe I maybe still will cough or something a couple times during this uh, podcast. I have done a little coughing today, but you don't even know. Um, You know, I really try when I do the live show really, really try to suppress that, but, you know, you know, beginning of this month and really, really just hacking, hacking, hacking as if I've been smoking cigarettes for 50 years or something, but that's the way my allergies go. And I'm lucky to have my inhaler and I take allergy medicine usually before I go to bed to make sure I get good sleep. So allergies, I think they're just about done as we are reaching the the month of March, which is pretty, pretty standard. It's it's just like clockwork. Comes at the, comes in at the end of January, leaves by the end of February. It's I don't know what it's just it's just so weird. But that doesn't mean it can't pop up later in the year, but just very consistent and constant this time of year. I'm continuing to um um, love my air fryer. In fact, I used it twice today. I think the George Foreman grill at this point might be feeling a little left out. I was using it for so much. And now that I, I've kind of moved away from uh, red meat a, a little bit, of course, we know with inflation and everything else, I'd love to cook a steak once in a while, but Prices of those things are just a little rich for my taste right now. Uh, But that's how I was mainly using the George Foreman grill. In addition, I was cooking like chicken breast on the George Foreman grill. But now that I've um, taught myself how to just do it in a pan with some olive oil, I guess sautéing or whatever it's called, right on the top of the stove, um. That's been going real well, too. So the George Foreman grill um, is, has been kind of uh, on the bench for a while. And I, like I said, I used the air fryer twice today. I cooked two baked potatoes about uh, an hour and a half ago. And I have the, the potatoes, and I, I kind of coat them in olive oil, put some salt on them because I, I, they're kind of smaller potatoes. Put them in the, the, the air fryer for about a half hour at like 390 degrees or something. They come up. They're spectacular. But then I also uh, have been cooking French fries in there too. And you can get those done in 15 minutes. And and I've kind of mastered that as well. Um, so I see your message, Shree. Um so I've been doing that. So the George Foreman grill has not been getting a lot of action. The 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 pan has on the oven on the top of the oven, and I kind of go back and forth 
between the air fryer and cooking in oil for the chicken wings. Still trying to bring the air fryer quality up to the oil quality. But that George Foreman grill, it's just kind of sitting there. And there was a while that I was using it almost every day. So um, there you go. Uh, But that's been some of my cooking uh, experiments that have been going on. And I I just feel very comfortable. I I could have never visualized this a couple years ago that I'd be using a combination of a, you know, a pan on the top of the oven, uh, on, on top of the stove, on the stove, and then to cook chicken wings and a bunch of oil or cook them in the air fryer. And then I've got the George Foreman grill. I mean, I don't even know myself anymore. Would the real Ed Denzel please come back to earth? I feel like I've been body snatched or something. It's so weird. Uh, Marty, I love the unfound shirt Ed's wearing. Oh, this one right here. Uh, this is a custom. Marty, we do have a store now. I'm going to be talking about it. But this is not quite in the story yet. This is actually a shirt that my sister Diane made for me. Uh, you can see Charles in the chat. That is his mother. Uh, that she made for me, I'm going to say, three years ago. And then she made a couple more for me for this past Christmas that I've worn. Uh, a red one and a white one. But this one is the original, uh, Marty. And if I've put like on the YouTube channel here, I've put excerpts of me speaking at different schools. Uh, this is the shirt I'm wearing. Uh, Sheree says, oh, no need to read that message you sent me now, Sheree. Okay. Melissa, I still use my George Roman grill. I use the waffle plates it comes with. I didn't get waffle plates with mine. Not much of a waffle guy. I'm a French toast guy. Waffles, pancakes, but French toast. I, I picked that up from my mother. And I'm, you know, these days I'm not eating any bread though. Um, but uh, my mother loved French toast. And I think that I got that from her. I just love French toast. I could eat French toast all the time, but that would be bad. Charles says, yes, uh, your mother does do excellent work, Charles. Yes. Um, DLV asked, do you sometimes eat salads with your meals? And remember to get your greens when possible. Um, as far as vegetable, green vegetables go, um, I eat steak salads when I go to trivia, but that is about it. DLV probably, I probably should mix in some salads and things. I suppose I could go and do some shopping and get the, uh, everything to do that, get the lettuce and all those things. I suppose I could just haven't done that yet. DLV. Maybe that's, maybe that's the next frontier, uh, of my cooking and eating journey is getting to making salads along with all of these things too. Maybe, maybe you're putting something good in my head, DLV. Thank you. Um, would you think about adding a hoodie sweatshirt, please? Um, the person who's running it is in the group here, Puma. So I'm sure she's going to see your, uh, we could do that. Uh, but the, the person who is running the new merchandise store is in here, so she is seeing your chat, your message right now. Waffles and ice cream dinner on Good Friday. That sounds good to me. That's not all so bad, Melissa. And I like crepes. Uh, when I read that uh, coffee, I think of... Um, have you have coffee? Have you ever seen the movie? 
uh, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, Daladega Knights. When uh, the the French racer, I forget his name, Jean Claude or whatever his name was, tells Ricky Bobby, say, I like crepes and Ricky Bobby won't do it. So he breaks Ricky Bobby's arm. <laughs> so funny. Uh, yes, they are. I, I know what crepes are. Yeah, crepes are fun to make, Charles. Uh, Charles is a pretty good cook. Twinkle says, yes, we have hoodies. There you go, uh, Puma. Uh, Twinkle uh, answered your question there. Marty says, I'm usually listening to you on Spotify, so I haven't seen the shirt. It looks great. It does. I agree, Marty. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, Puma's responding. Melissa, there, there's a cougar in my car. I know. I put it there. Yeah, it's such a great movie. I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan, but um, that is uh, – I have. I actually have that movie DVR'd. And maybe it's because I used to like NASCAR too and everything. Not as big a fan now, but that is a funny movie. And there's another, uh, you know, with him in it, um, Zoolander is, I guess it's not technically a Will Ferrell movie, but you know what I mean? He's in that movie, but a lot of the other stuff that he did, um, not uh, a huge fan of it, and I didn't even watch Saturday Night Live when he was on there. But the Ricky Bud Talladega Nights is absolutely hilarious. It's just when she says, "I'm a driver's wife, I don't work." It's so good. It's so good. Jean Girard, there you go, Cherie. Thank you. Look at Cherie coming to coming hard with the facts, with the trivia on that movie. Look at you, Cherie. There you go. We're getting some requests. Uh, uh, Twinkle, while you're here, why don't you type in the link to the merchandise store, uh, being that people are asking about it right now. If you could do that, I'd appreciate it. All right, so we're talking about cooking. We're talking about Ricky Bobby. Uh, we're talking about – we've talked about swearing, and it's only 25 minutes into this live show. This is crazy. This is a pretty good one tonight. This is a, a unique one. Who knows? Like I said, you never know when this live show is going to go. I always come with stuff to talk about, uh, and we're going to get to that stuff. But uh, sometimes, you know, just willing to go wherever the chat room wants to take me. I come prepared. Um, okay. Uh, also today, while I was doing some work, um, it actually, I, this was on, as I was preparing this uh, live show tonight, putting my little outline together, and that use takes more time than you probably realize, I had the movie Rosemary's Baby on. I just got Paramount Plus about three weeks ago. And as I've stated before, I'm really drawn to older movies. Specifically, really the 70s. Uh, movies made in the 70s are fascinating to me for some reason. And this movie kind of came, came out in 68, but has all the feelings of a movie made in the 1970s. And I had that on today. I, and, you know, I've heard so much about that movie and I've probably seen clips of it. I really don't know if I've ever had seen it before or not. I've known about it. I know what the plot was and all those things. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you hear so much about it. You've seen clips, pictures and all. You, you know the plot and everything. You think you've seen it, but maybe you haven't. And now that I watched it, 
as I was doing this outline today, I was like, I don't think I've seen this. Ruth Gordon, I'm a huge fan of Ruth Gordon, the actress. And seeing her in that movie, I was like, nope, nope, nope. And she got an Academy Award for her performance in that movie. I was like, nope, have not seen her in this movie. And so what a fascinating, I'm not going to give it away for anybody who hasn't seen it, but oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. And was very, like, you know, avant garde, you know, for 1968. Um, but so good. Uh, Mia Farrow, she looks so much like Gwyneth Paltrow in that movie. It's so weird. And John Cassavetes is somebody staying in here. John Cassavetes is spectacular. He was in that Columbo episode where he's a conductor, he was in The Dirty Dozen. Uh, he's just, and then him as a director, just so good. So, so, so good. Um, I'm already saying hysterical. Melissa agrees with me. Unfound contributes. There you go. 50%. That's true. Twinkle. So yeah, Twinkle, why don't you type, if you get the link, just put it in here, type it out. Uh, I found Rosemary's baby. So relaxing for some reason. I've been on the background at least once a month. Do you DLV? That's so weird. Melissa time to drink your vitamins. I made that comment before to you. I, I remember that Melissa. Yeah. Time to drink your vitamins. Um, so yeah, Marty. I, thank you. I appreciate the support, Marty. Uh, I remember when that movie came out. So avant-garde, it was. Yes. So I've been going through that. What else have I watched? I watched American Graffiti. I watched. Um, oh, I well, the Manchurian Candidate came out way back in the '60s, but I watched that recently. That's so good too. Hmm. Um, Kathy's Gwyneth Paltrow looks so much like her mom, Blake Thanner. That's true too, Kathy. Twinkle, I pasted in the link a couple of times. I don't see the link in here, Twinkle. I don't see the link. Is the link in the chat here somewhere? I, I don't see it. So um, you can put it in again. Derek, you should watch Burnt Offerings if you haven't already. I've never seen that, Derek, but I have seen The Wicker Man which of course I had to watch that because Iron Maiden made a song about the Wicker Man, uh, which was spectacular. And that's a 1970s movie. That's a spectacular, creepy, creepy, creepy movie too. So, um, yeah, horror movies. And we're talking about horror movies in February, almost March. Shouldn't we be talking about this at Halloween time? Maybe we'll have to remember that uh, for this coming Halloween. So those are some of the things I'll maybe get back to some other personal stuff later. So let's get into some unfound items. Um, first of all, the Judith Hyder poll. Uh, Judith Hyder, Living with Friends. Of course, the title of the episode was The Friend Zone. And I asked the discussion group, do Sonny and Jenny know what happened? It's actually Jenny... It's G-I-N-N-Y, and sometimes I know that came out maybe in the interview as Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, but it was Jenny, so like not Jennifer, but Virginia. Sonny and Ginny, I think my West, Western Pennsylvania accent kick, kicking in there, still after 25 years of not living there. But a large majority of the discussion group, people who answered the poll anyway, 
thought that they do know what happened to Judith. Now, in the think tank, we really didn't really make that uh, topic uh, a priority. Some people brought it up, but it was not an ex- really, really explicit question in there. But I, I you know, really didn't you know there were so many questions in the think tank by the way if you want to take part in the think tank it's patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast but we really couldn't come to a consensus on some of the topics that i brought up regarding judith's disappearance uh the only thing we could say is that a majority of the people thought that there was foul play and it very well could have been that sunny jenny and tim were all involved together me um i you know for the blog that i wrote at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast i just decided probably that timothy had done this all by himself and if you want to know the reasoning that i came to that maybe it's obvious to a lot of people but if you would like to read or listen to my reasoning once again patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast melissa says oh my god burn offerings oliver reed and karen black don't forget to watch the other marty did you see the wicker man remake i did not uh usually these remakes are not as good as the originals for example the manchurian candidate even though i'm a big denzel washington fan i saw it not as good as um not as good as the original, you know, sometimes that's, um, the way it works, uh, sometimes, but a huge fan of seventies movies like, um, what else have I watched? Oh, like I, maybe I mentioned last week, three days of the condor was uh spectacular. That's on paramount plus. So, and then, like I said, American Graffiti, I hadn't seen that movie in a long time. And it's so good. Harrison Ford, you know, before he was anybody, and Ron Howard and Cindy Williams, just uh, Richard Dreyfus. It's so weird uh, that Richard Dreyfus looks so young in that movie. And then it was just like four years later. Uh, that he did Jaws, and it looks like he aged like 20 years in like four years now. He did have a drinking and drug problem, my understanding back at that time. That can't age you, I guess. But if you looked at Richard Dreyfus in American Graffiti and you look at him in Jaws, you'd think, well, these movies had to have been made at least 10 years apart, and they're only made like four years difference. It's crazy. So it's because American Graffiti came out in like 73. Jaws came out in, what was it, 76, 75, 76. They're very, they're very close together, but Richard Dreyfuss looked like he aged a lifetime between them. Okay, moving on. What's everybody saying? Uh, I think that uh, I look forward. Uh, Puma says maybe she's blocked from adding links as Twinkle's not a moderator. Perhaps... Charlie, um, maybe that is that you need to, that could be Puma. Um, Twinkle, I look forward to the think tank. Thank you, Twinkle. Lots of good discussions. There are, uh, that's the link to the Facebook group. Thank you for posting that. 
and uh, Love American Graffiti. Rockford, no discussion of 70s movies is complete without mentioning the conversation. That's the other one I watched within the last couple weeks, Rockford. Thank you for reminding me. Spectacular. It was not too long ago, so I shortened it to fit Y2 comment requirements. Um, what is that Facebook link? Uh, is that the Facebook link, Cherie, that goes directly to the spread shop uh, store or not? If not, if, if Twinkle is uh, restricted from posting that due to YouTube regulations, maybe Twinkle, you can get that address to Cherie and then she can post it. Or maybe, let me see something. I, of course, can do that myself, too. So let me uh, hold on just a second. I have the ability to do this. We'll take a, a break in the action for a moment. I can surely put it there. Is it going to allow me to log in, though? Okay. Where is it? It is. I'm going to just type it out here for everybody to see right now. It is. Unfound-podcast.myspreadshop.com. Dot com. There you go uh, from Artie and other people who were inquiring. That link I just posted. You can see me. It's the big yellow block there, the Unfound Podcast channel. That is me if you want to go uh, visit the site. And thank you for your consideration. Thank you for even asking about it. Moving on, uh, I've talked about this teachable podcast class that I'm putting together. It's going to be all-encompassing. Did a quite a bit of work on it this past weekend on Saturday and Sunday night. Uh, doing a lot of um, video recording. And it's going to be broken down into every topic from concept the whole way to making money, marketing, and everything at the end. And everything in between. Recording, writing, and everything. It encompasses everything. And so it's broken down into sections. And at the end of each section, I do a little unfound story. Some of my experiences of doing unfound over the last six and a half years, mainly being don't do this. Don't do what I did. Um, and so I had an opportunity on Friday, or Saturday and Sunday night to record all of that. I did it all at one time. Of course, it'll be all diced up and put into each section. But just thinking about those early days of unfound from six, six and a half years ago, you know, stories about reviews, stories about recording, stories about uh, you know, no Facebook page, no Facebook group, none of that stuff. It's you can kind of laugh at it now, but it was certainly not funny at the time. But it's going to be out. Uh, like I said, I got quite a bit of it done this weekend. The main thing eventually is going to be making sure that. At teachable.com, the page that it will be for this class, you know, looks good. It's easy to use. And I'm going to do probably quite a bit of marketing regarding this before it even becomes a thing, before you can even, you know, buy it and watch it if you, if you want to be a podcaster. So, um, so I've been working on that when I'm not doing unfound stuff, but 
So you'll see probably I'm going to probably do some Facebook ads and some Instagram ads and some other things, Google ads regarding this class. Get that all out there. And then the class will be made public. But this will all be a run-up to like this coming summer, me working on classes regarding disappearances. You know, classes, a a course geared toward uh, the public, a course geared toward law enforcement, a course geared toward private investigators, a course geared toward families. And what goes into disappearances and what they should be doing and the mistakes that are being made and everything. So this is a big thing. And I want this to be, of course, this how to how to podcast better than anyone. I, of course, want it to be very, very popular. I think it can be helpful to a lot of people. I know I could have used it six and a half years ago when I started. But it's also kind of a practice towards something that I'm going to also be doing uh, this summer that's more connected, I guess, to Unfound and our mission here regarding uh, disappearance education. So I'll be looking for all of that. And uh, you might want to just buy into the podcast course just because you'll get to hear me uh, tell some unfound stories that maybe uh, you've not heard regarding behind the scenes of the starting of the podcast and problems that I had and everything else that might be worth the, the price of admission just for that. All of you who now listen to the podcast every week and have gotten to know me and everything and for everybody else. It's maybe going to be, of course, more an educational experience. For some of you, though, it might be a little bit of entertainment, to be honest. Um, Melissa says, don't go breaking any rules. Puma Linkworks, take you to the shop. You're welcome, Puma. Sounds like a spectacular series. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, It's going to be a lot of work, but I think it's worth it. I think it's gotten to the point where I've done these school presentations and everything that I know what I want to say regarding disappearances. But also all of the work that I've done on this podcast, being that I do uh, everything myself, you know, as far as creating the podcast, um, you know, I have recording experience, editing experience, writing experience, interviewing experience, techno- technical issue experience, all of that, um, you know, just as an example, I've gone through seven computers if you can believe this, in six and a half years of doing this podcast, I've gone through seven computers. This is uh, this computer right here is number six. This computer over here is number seven. It's crazy, and so that was a story that is within this course on podcasting about technology and um. So, uh, like I said, it's, it took me a while to put it all together and write it out and everything, but now I'm into the recording process. I'm excited about it. Uh, Melissa, you are well on your way to becoming the premier missing persons expert. I appreciate that, Melissa. Well, I got my business cards. You've seen my business cards right here. And I think somebody said they were going to see, I got them right here. And I mean, you know, Melissa, it does say uh, missing persons expert on here. So it must be true. Kiermoth asked, do you build, do I build my own computers? No, um, I do not. Uh, 
these computers, uh, specifically the Dell ones, and uh, had issues and um, could not be used anymore for one reason or another. And then this HP, I've only had it a year and a half, but maybe four months ago, I had to replace the fan on it. And I learned how to do that online. The fan went, just wouldn't come on. So I got an, I ordered another one, I guess, from Amazon or whatever. And I took apart this computer and put a new fan on it, in it. And it's been working fine again. So I do have some technical abilities. And maybe some of you don't know that um, I, well, Kieran, where, uh, where I'm going with this is that, what is that here? Yeah, Kiernoff. Sorry, Kiernoff. Um, you got your, your star. Thank you, Jill. What's going on, Jill? Everybody's, uh, Jill is in the group tonight. Uh, Kiernoff, you should know though, in a, back when I lived in Las Vegas, I was a printer and fax machine technician. I used to take printers completely apart, uh, put new parts on them, diagnose problems, get the parts and replace them and put it all back together. So, I didn't do very well in engineering at Grove City College. In fact, I almost flunked out. But when it comes to like a tinker, you give me a machine or something and you, you give me the right tools and everything, I'm pretty good at that. Even though I tend to shy away from that, I'm actually pretty good at that. And uh, I had that job from like 2005 to 2010, something like that, driving all over Southern Nevada, um, Southern Utah, Arizona, Southern California, and that area going and um, working on printers and fax machines that weren't working correctly, replacing power systems and rollers and all sorts of stuff that goes, you know, keypads and, and all those things without any training. It was on the job training. I, I literally showed up for that job and uh, my boss, who was the owner of the place, here's the tools, go figure it out. <coughs> That's a true story. I, I, I was working at, I was doing the stage managing stuff in the evening, but I had all this time during the day. And I thought, you know, I could get some sort of day job. You know, um, you know, I could do something during the day and that wasn't too rigorous or something and ended up being rigorous. But I answered an ad in the, it was still in the newspaper or whatever. And I just showed up at this office and uh, he was there and he goes, yeah, we have all these accounts. And um, what you're going to do is you're going to go out, we're going to get calls in and you're going to go out there and you're going to go fix their printers and fax machines Here's the tools. Go figure it out. True story. And I did. And I did that for like five years. And I would work in, I would work in the daytime and then I would work in the evening and then I'd take, take certain days off. But I did that for quite a while. So I'm a little bit um, of a tinker, I guess, when I have to be. And of course, way back in the day, I used to work on cars. So there's that. Um. Kieran, oh, right, printers are a pain. Yeah, well, like the movie Office Space with them beating up on that fax machine or whatever else. Kind of true. Kind of true. All right, let's go to some news. This is one of those stories 
that uh, I did not get to last week, but I have to, I, I cannot not talk about this. This maybe some of you seen this story, and it has to do with gold. The FBI is covering up a trove of Civil War era gold. The agency dug up in Pennsylvania one treasure hunter claimed, and he's determined to expose the alleged truth. We feel we are double. We were double crossed and lied to, says Dennis Parada, co-owner of Finders Keepers. The FBI had searched a remote area in Dense Run in 2018, which is kind of in like eastern Pennsylvania, for a cache of gold worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But the agency said it did not find anything. The area is allegedly where a night, an 1863 shipment of Union gold disappeared on its way to the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia. Parada sued the Justice Department last year to force the FBI to release records on the search of the excavation site. And a judge ruled in favor of the agency, in favor of the FBI. After reviewing the newly released documents, Parada said the FBI is distorting key evidence and improperly withholding records in an apparent effort to conceal the recovery of the historic gold cash. The truth will come out, says Parada, who's looking to earn a finder's fee from the potential discovery. A federal judge overseeing the case will decide if the FBI must release its operational plan for the gold dig and other records it wants to keep secret. The judge could also order the FBI to keep looking for additional materials to turn over to the treasure hunter. Uh, we reached out to the FBI Sunday morning about Parada's claims of a cover-up, but not, did not immediately receive a response. The FBI declined comment to the Associated Press. The FBI confirmed last year that the agency had searched the area for gold, but did not recover anything, adding that it continues to unequivocally reject any claims or speculation to the contrary. Parada and his consultant... <laughs> Warren Gettler suspect the FBI conducted a late night dig of the area and found the gold in 2018. <clears throat> we have compelling evidence a night dig took place and that the FBI went to some large effort to cover up that night dig. Co-author of Rebel Gold, a book exploring the possibility of a buried Civil War era cache of gold and silver. Parada and his son Kern Parada had searched for the gold for years eventually finding a remote woodland area that contained a large quality quantity of metal. The duo's work eventually led the FBI to obtain a warrant to search the area in March 2018, which was documented by a videographer. Prada suggests that between the first and second days of the court-authorized excavation, the agency found the stork gold during a clandestine overnight dig. Residents previously reported hearing a backhoe and jackhammer overnight when the dig was supposed to have been paused, and seeing a convoy of FBI vehicles, including large armored trucks. The FBI has denied it conducted an overnight dig. I will stick at this until the end, until I know everything that happened to that gold product said, how much, where it went to, who has it now, I gotta know. Now, I ask you, have any of you seen this story? This has been out uh, a little while, a few weeks, and like I said, I was going to talk about it last week, but I just... um ran out of time but um i i want you to know this all sounds outrageous to me sounds completely 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 outrageous i even have i have a serious question 
Does the FBI just have armored trucks with drivers just waiting to be called to drive out and pick gold up? <laughs> of course not. Uh, you know, or, or are they like fire departments? You know, like the firemen, when they're not answering a call, they're back at the station house, you know, waxing the trucks, shooting basketball, playing cards, whatever else. Of course, the alarm goes off. They put their equipment on. In the trucks, they go. Does the FBI have something like that? Do FBI, does the FBI just have like people sitting around in some garage somewhere with armored trucks and they're shooting basketball and playing cards and waxing the armored trucks, just waiting for that time when some agents uh, find some gold out there and they hit the, the alarm button and these people all jump in their armored trucks and go out there and take the gold? Of course not. Um, we also have to remember if there was any digging going on out there in the hills of Pennsylvania, once again, does the FBI have like its secret crew of backhoe operators and jackhammers? I mean, it's really not the head of the FBI. The head of the FBI is not going out there with a jackhammer, right? Somebody's using those jackhammers. This sounds like a fairly large operation. And you're telling me that all these people would keep their mouth shut when probably most of them are not even FBI employees. The FBI, if, so, if, yeah, if the FBI needs something dug up somewhere, they contract it out. They get some local, hey, we need, we, we're going to be doing some work here. Can you, you know, can you bring your backhoe out here and start digging around? That's what they do. So are we to believe that there are just normal people with backhoes and jackhammers and all these things? who went out there, who are now keeping their mouth shut about finding a huge mountain of gold out in the hills of Pennsylvania. It's crazy. It's, you know, and I, I suppose, uh, you know, and I don't even know, have there been other kind? you know, is this true crime? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's like conspiracy Cookville type of stuff. I don't know. But I'm guessing there's at least one or two or 10 kind of uh, shows like that that have maybe covered this story and I would I don't know what they've said about it probably they're just buying into the thing total hook line and sinker but this just fa sounds a little too outrageous to me instead what I'm thinking is that yes you know, this is some, you know, it very well could be that these guys, these finders, keepers guys, have they ever found anything before? Is this actually a business? It doesn't seem like it would be a too profitable business if your business plan is, okay, we're going to go around the hills of Pennsylvania and Delaware and Maryland and New Jersey and, and all that area of the United States looking for gold. That's our business plan. Will you please give us a business loan? It just sounds to me like this is some sort of pub grab by them. And I, I think maybe that they might have duped the FBI. Very well might have been. They're such a good um, used car salesman that they convinced the FBI they had to go out there and then just generated all this. No matter what the FBI did out there, these guys were going to claim that they got ripped off. There are people like that. There are all sorts of scamsters out there. Look at, look at like in the missing persons community, how many of Unfound's guests, although we try to stay away from that in, in official interviews. But 
A lot of Unfound's guests have run into scammers. Hey, give me, you know, your daughter's being sold on the dark web. You give me $5,000, I will buy her and bring her back to you. That happens. That is happening all the time. Now, that is, of course, it's a, you know, huge scam. That's kind of story. In this kind of story, there's not much difference between them. And these guys doing this finders keepers stuff just sound like some kooks and some scamsters to me. I think they're just looking for attention. Uh, They mentioned, of course, they have a book out. Imagine that. It's just a little outrageous. And maybe this just shows how I think through things. This is how I think about conspiracies in general, Um, whether it has to do with JFK or... Um, you know, TWA 800 or September 11th and, and, and all these things when somebody wants to tell you, oh, it was his a job. It was this big secret inside job and it was this huge conspiracy. My first question is, if it's such a huge secret conspiracy, why do you know about it? You're just a regular person. If they were so good at covering everything up, why do you know about it? And so this is kind of how I feel about this, that it just does not sound – I'm not saying there isn't gold out there somewhere. Um, You know, we know of um, that one – there was even a disappearance – disappeared episode where a young man went out – was it – what was it? Arizona or New Mexico looking for this treasure, and he ended up dying. In fact, I think it wasn't suicide or anything. He had an accident. And he got wedged between some rocks or something, and they eventually did find him. But at the time, of course, disappeared. He was still missing. So people um, are falling for these types of things all the time. And there very well may be treasure out there in the United States that still has yet to be found. But I'm surely not going to believe it because of what these guys are saying from this from this uh, group that they have finders keepers and pointing the, uh, the finger at the FBI. I mean – what was it? A couple FBI agents by themselves out there with the jackhammers and the hose. Oh, we're going to keep back, uh, uh, back hose and jackhammers. What are, what are they going to keep that gold for themselves? It's just so outrageous. It's, it's just crazy, but I, I wanted to talk about it. Um, it. It's just a little sad, but funny at the same time. Um, uh, let's say Melissa says going back here. It is true. I've been following this genre of true crime for more than 30 years. You are a prominent premier expert. You're very kind, Melissa. Thank you. My friend, Annie McCarrick is still missing. I'm certain I know what you might think. We well, would love to, um, cover her disappearance. If we can make that happen, Melissa, just don't tell me that your, uh, friend is missing. I mean, I know it's in quotations, but. You know, maybe there's something we can do here. Maybe you need to email me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com, and we can talk about it. Um, that name is not familiar to me. Katie says, Tinker, that reminds you of your guest name, Tinker. Yeah, for Van, uh, Vanessa Van Orn. Yes, I love the little story behind her nickname. That is true. Ferry uh, tuning in. Hello, Ferry. M tuning in. Hello. Uh, Ferry says, you might find some coal. Yeah, in then there hills of Pennsylvania. That's right, Ferry. You know you're... Your geography, uh, Pennsylvania does have a lot of coal. Um, you know, unfortunately, although it's still do 
coal mining and everything. It tends to be like the dirtier type. What is it? Anthracite or something. Rockford, Amy Bradley disappearance, a classic example of scammers and true crime. Well, that is Rockford. Thank you. That is certainly true. That is certainly true. Thank you, Katie. Uh, I think Christopher Ray personally was out there in, in a backo. I know that name. Uh, I recognize that name, Katie, but you're going to have to specifically uh, tell me who it is. Charles, once there isn't any gold, they're left with nothing to do. This new story keeps their delusion alive. Yep. Yep. This, you know, this also reminds me of this group, uh, Tiger, T-I-G-H-A-R, that for several years was selling trips to go find Amelia Earhart's plane, T-I-G-H-A-R dot org. And, you know, every time these people would pay to go out there and they thought they were going to find it, something would happen. And, uh, you know, this wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. And I think a lot of people began to figure out that these people were just like a, a tourist company and not really trying to find uh, Amelia Earhart at all. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. This kind of sounds like that. Uh uh, Rockford, I'm with you on being skeptical of these conspiracy theories. It assumes a level of competence in government that simply doesn't exist. That's right. That is true, Jasmine. That was Jesse Capen, FBI director. Oh, okay. Christopher is the FBI director. Thank you. I think I can only maybe name two FBI directors. That would be, of course, um, J. Edgar Hoover, and then I remember Louis Free. Other than that, I think that's about the only two I can name. Rockford McCarrick is a very complex case with far more theories than there is actual evidence. Well, if Melissa, if Melissa is a friend of hers, then I want to, being especially, I know Melissa's always tuning into the live show and everything else. So if I can help her out, if Unfound can do something, uh, Melissa, please uh, let me know. Hello, Moana. What's going on with you? Good to see you. Thanks for tuning in. So that's that story. Now let's move on to this story. This is also from last week uh, that I didn't get to. 50 years later, Georgia investigators have positively identified the remains and belongings of an Auburn University student missing nearly 50 years. Kyle Wade Klinkscales, what a name, was last seen in 1976 while the 22-year-old was driving from LaGrange, Georgia to Auburn, Alabama, campus, Auburn University. On Sunday, Georgia's Troop County Sheriff's Office learned that remains found years earlier were identified as those of the long-missing student. Clink Scales disappeared on January 27, 1976. Investigators have long said Clink Scales was killed and arrested two people in 2005 in connection with the missing person case. Police said at the time the Clink Scales family had received a phone call from someone who claimed he witnessed Klinkscale's body in a barrel being covered in concrete that was then discarded in a pond. I'm going to come back to this later. Investigators had another big break in December 2021 when Georgia authorities located Klinkscale's 1974 Ford Pinto submerged in a creek near a Chambers County, Alabama roadway. Police also located Klinkscale's identification and bones, officials said, upon announcing the discovery. Police said at the time that Klinkscale's family received a phone call. All right, I read that. Um, was he murdered and left there? Did he run off of the road and wreck there? He said during the 2021 interview, 
That's something we hope to discover, but it's been 45 years. Klinkscale's parents died before they were able to be reunited with her son's remains. Despite Sunday's positive identification, investigators have still not yet released the cause or manner of Klinkscale's death. This is... um. This is another story like the gold story that made uh, national news in the last month. And maybe some of you saw the gold story. Maybe some of you have seen this story as well. There's some few things that I want to say about this. First of all, I actually, uh, upon hearing about this, I actually went to Google and found the location where they found his pinto in the water. Maybe some of you did that too. Uh, because they do say that it was like a mile south and it was in this creek. And it's very easy to find the location if you look at the news stories. And I'm telling you, there is no way. You know, you know, I by way of comparison, let's say, all of you are familiar with the disappearance of Esther Westenbarger. And how she ended up in that retention pond in Kokomo, Indiana, in her Cadillac. And there's no reason to believe the foul play ever occurred. But looking at that, you know, of course, in retrospect, maybe we should have suspected something. But looking at that retention pond, it's like, man, I really don't think that a Cadillac, if it went into that pond, it would be pretty easy to see. Of course, that was not the situation. Well, when I tell you the creek where this Pinto was found, now we know a Pinto is a lot smaller than a Cadillac that um, Esther was driving. You wouldn't think that any size automobile would be able to be found or hidden in this creek. If you go on that road and find the location, of course, we know probably guardrails. We know like these days there's more guardrails and fences and signs and all those things on roads than there were in the 1970s. We're really safety conscious conscious here in the United States. But I'm telling you, if that creek today in the 21st century looked like it did back then no wonder nobody suspected that there was a vehicle in that creek but there was i'm serious i think you should you know once this live show is done you look up some of these articles find uh how you can find where that creek is in that road you're gonna look at that little creek and say there is no way a car was there but it was <coughs> it, it, it was now do I know, did, uh, did this guy, was he already dead? And did the car get pushed into this creek? Or did he run off the road? What I would say is, um, first of all, I think the way I understand this is that it seems like it was kind of on the road that he would have been using that night. It seems. But on the other hand, so he very well could have fallen asleep at the wheel and just fell asleep at the wheel at the wrong spot and drove into the creek. Certainly possible. Very bad luck. Of course, you fall asleep at the wheel, probably it's not going to end up, even without a creek, it's probably not going to end well anyway. But um, the reason that I doubt foul play is because I just don't think that any killer would ever look at that creek and say, yeah, we got to push the car in right here. Because why? Because the creek doesn't look like it would hide a car anyway. Whereas, 
a river, like we know with Adventures with Purpose, for example, or a big lake or something, then that, you know, it's um, much more possible that a killer might think, you know, we got to get rid of this car. We got to get rid of this body. Better to do that for sure in a big river, in a big lake, something than picking a creek. If you go look at it, you're going to see how small it is. But that's where the Pinto was. So I'm inclined to think that this was some type of accident. I'm inclined to think, and it was just horrible, bad luck. Maybe it could also, you know, should cause us to maybe look back at like Audrey Heron's disappearance and maybe look at it and say, of course, she was driving a Jeep, which was once again, a lot bigger than Pinto. Maybe there have been some smaller creeks and bodies of water that have been dismissed uh, regarding her disappearance that maybe need a second look. Maybe. Let's see. As I've already stated, I think that she did run off the road somewhere, but didn't end up in a body of water, maybe ran off the road and down into a gully. Just it's not been found to this day. That's what I'm still, my still is my number one theory. People have different think differently. Just looking at the location, everything, I'm inclined to believe that this young man, unfortunately, uh, went into this creek by accident. Kyle went into this creek by accident uh, and just wrong place, wrong time. But also what I think is so important about this, and this goes to rumors, and and this is why, at least behind the scenes, so many guests. Well, I've heard that my loved one was... You know, we know the hog farm stories and the wood chipper stories and putting a barrel and putting cement and thrown into a lake stories. Well, that's what Kyle's family heard for all those years, too. And guess what? That didn't happen. It turned out that he was found in his car in this creek behind the wheel of his car in this creek. Had nothing to do with <coughs> suspects or killers or maybe he was killed, but certainly not in the way that was described when these stories were all coming out. But it's amazing how many families buy into these things. And whereas there's proof that those stories are really, 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 really probably not true. When these disappearances are solved, that is not how, why the disappearance happened or how it happened. To the point even that the police were charging uh, people with Kyle's murder. And this just shows you, even to this day in the 21st century, in February of 2023, people, uh, police still do the same thing. They'll hear some story about a hog farm or a wood chipper or a bear or something, and they buy into these stories too. When there's no evidence that they should be buying into any of it. And I'm hoping that whoever these these people who got charged back in the day, let me read that part of it again. Uh, police said at the time the Klinkscale's family had received a phone call from someone who claimed he witnessed Klinkscale's body in a barrel being covered in concrete. We now know that that was BS. We were speaking of uh, swearing earlier in this live show. BS. Um... You know, to the point that they actually charged a couple people. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, 
Yeah, clink scales disappeared on January 27, 1976. Investigators have long said clink scales was killed and arrested two people in 2005 in connection with a missing persons case. And I have no information as to whatever happened to those people. So two big things that we can learn, I think, from this story. It's very sad what happened, but, uh, uh, you know, and it's fortunate his parents died before they found him. But one, it, maybe we need to take a little more seriously these little creeks and stream, streams throughout the United States when it comes to them being able to hide cars. And number two, one more reason to doubt all these rumors about hog farms and chainsaws and wood chippers and everything else. This is one more reason to reject all of it. Melissa says there are people of more primacy in her life that you should speak with. I've been slowly nudging them. Well, if you can get them uh, to contact me, Melissa, I would appreciate it. It's snowing there, Moana. I'm sorry to hear that. It is not snowing here. Mark, I'm not familiar with the case you mentioned from Kokomo. I'd like to read up on it. Well, you don't have to read up on it, Mark. That's uh, an old, unfound episode from 2017. Esther Westenbarger uh, went out with friends and her brother, and all she had to do was drive a mile and a half home, and she never made it. Uh, what year would that have been? 2009 or something. And then about 10 years later, they found her car in a retention pond right near her house. And her daughter was the guest. Of course, at the time that I did the interview with her daughter, it was still unsolved. We didn't know where Esther or her car were, her car was. And um, so you might want to check that old episode out. It's right here on YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. You can surely find it. Melissa, I remember his name from the Charlie Project. It didn't surprise me too much. I could never forget that guy's name. Clink Scales. Yeah, very unique. Rockford, keep in mind, too, that he was at a bar. That could have been a factor. Uh, That's certainly true. Drinking and driving Rockford and swerved off the road. Very well could be that he was swerving to miss a deer or something and ended up there. Certainly possible. But we'll never know. Um, Rockford, just like we'll never know with Esther Westenbarger, did she fall asleep at the wheel? Was she drinking? She probably was at least a little inebriated given what she was doing, but maybe that was not the the total cause of that. Um, Just being on the wrong road, just not knowing the area that well, heart attack, falling asleep at the wheel. We're never going to know. To hog farms and wood chippers, I'll add scapegoats like the cartel and hit run where driver put the body in his trunk. Yeah, those those are just crazy stories. Far more often, it's a combination of alcohol and a body of water. Yeah. So Kyle Klink scales found after all these years, maybe should not be surprised that he was found with his car together. Um, that's usually the way it goes when a person and a car goes, go missing together, that they are found together. Uh, certainly after a long period of time, I should say, of course, that's not the way it ended up for Eric Franks. But I think Eric Franks' disappearance in that regard is always going to be highly, highly, highly unique. Who would have thunk it? Moving on, I want to talk about the um, Murdaugh trial a little bit, although I am not an expert in it, but I am going to read a little bit about it. Alex Murdaugh's defense team is expected to rest on Monday, so today... After the disgraced attorney spent two grueling days last week testifying at his double, mur- double murder trial in Walterboro, South Carolina. 
Defense lawyer Dick Harpudian, what a name, said Friday afternoon, clink scales and then Harpushin, maybe, what a name, uh, said Friday afternoon that they had four more witnesses, including a crime scene, anal- crime scene analysis, then planned to formally end their case by the early afternoon. Assistant Attorney General Creighton Walters said he expected to have one or two brief rebuttal witnesses. Closing arguments uh, could be as early as Wednesday. Monday marks the sixth week of the live-streamed trial that has mapped out the spectacular downfall of the powerful Sion, Sion Scon of what was once seen as an untouchable legal dynasty in the low country of South Carolina. Murdaugh denied fatally shooting uh, son Paul, 22, with a shotgun, and Maggie, 52, with a rifle near the dog kennels at the family's hunting estate in Islandton when he took the stand Thursday in his own defense. Uh, Mr. Murdaugh, are you a family annihilator, Waters asked on cross-examination. No, I would never hurt Maggie. I would never hurt Paul, he told the jury. During the nine-hour grilling that nine-hour grilling that ended Friday afternoon, Waters portrayed Murdaugh as a pill-addled, Serial liar who was on the verge of a devastating financial reckoning. Prosecutors have argued that Murdaugh, in an act of ruthless self-preservation, killed his wife and son to deflect from his theft of nearly $9 million from his law firm and clients to fuel a lavish lifestyle. The 54-year-old disbarred attorney is only two years older than I am, and he looks like 20 years older. He sobbed frequently during his testimony, admitted on the stand for the first time publicly that he had lied to investigators, friends, and family about going to the dog kennels the night of the murders. Kind of sounds like Steve Fankey, who, when he got on the stand, uh, said he had lied about all the stories he had told over the years. He claimed his two-decades-long opioid addiction made him paranoid and distrustful of investigators, although he willingly sat for three separate interviews. Murdaugh only came clean... After cell phone video recovered from Paul's phone in 2022, placed him at the crime scene minutes before the fatal shootings. The video, recorded at 8.45 p.m., captured Murdaugh and his wife talking in the background. Prosecutors say he executed his wife and son at about 8.49 p.m. when the victim's phones locked for the last time. You, like you've done so many times in your life, had to back up and make a new story to fit with the facts, Waters asked. No, sir. Murdaugh replied, Waters repeatedly poked holes in Murdaugh's ever-changing account of the night of the crime. Murdaugh pinned the murders on a deadly 2019 boat wreck. Paul drunkenly crashed his father's boat into a bridge, killing 19-year-old Mallory Beach, injuring four others and triggering, triggering a wrongful death lawsuit that set off an unthinkable spiral of the destruction of the Murdaugh family. I can tell you that at that time, and as I sit here today, that I believe that boat wreck is the reason why Papa, his son Paul, and Maggie were killed. I'm certain. Murdoch said that after Paul was criminally charged in the crash, he was vilified in the press and received death threats on social media. I believe them, and I believe today that the wrong person, the wrong person saw and read that, he said, adding that he doesn't suspect any that any of the boat passengers or their families are responsible. So everybody's responsible, but nobody's responsible. Waters mocked what he's described as Murdaugh's random vigilante's theory. These suspects, Waters said, somehow happened to know that Paul and Maggie would be alone at the kennels at the exact time and had access to the family's weapons and ammunition. Um, fair. I usually don't listen to the testimony. It's too morning, but this one I did. Rockford, the name instantly reminded me of Dexter Klinksko, who was a heck of a football player. Kind of remember that name. Klinksko, I've watched it all. He's a lying, stealing, murderous junkie. Fairy, I call him a goon. He's a goon. Katie, 
If he refers to his victims as pawpaw and mags once more, I'll throw up. So some of you, certainly some of you, and I know Sheree has, uh, have been following this. Uh, I haven't followed it at all. So I'm just reading uh, one account of the proceedings over the last few days. Uh, as I told Sheree when she asked me about this a couple days ago, um, what do I think? Uh, I said that I think that he is so guilty. I'm surprised he doesn't have his prison tattoos yet. That's how guilty he is. Uh, of course, his story makes no sense. I mean, the son's phone proves that he was there like within four minutes of when these two uh, were murdered. And what was it? He just happened to leave at the time that these killers showed up. I mean, really, why didn't they kill him too? It just, of course, makes no sense. And, of course, he had to change his story because he didn't know when he was talking to his wife and within the next five minutes that he was going to kill her and his son that his son was recording it. He didn't know that. And then when that popped up, you have to go back and change your story. I mean, that is certainly uh, what is going on here. Um, I guess, you know, this is uh, the Murdoch trial and everything should be a huge reminder that things are not always as they seem. Whether you're partaking in people, whatever they're writing and posting and pictures and everything that they're putting on social media or what they're saying, uh, if you have friends and acting like things are so great. Things are not always as they seem. And in fact, they're usually not. And obviously the Murdoch family, even though they were a legal dynasty and everything else going on, they were rotten to the core. I mean, the son, uh, I, I you know, don't like it that he was murdered, but he's out there on a boat, boating, you know, um, drinking and boating, getting people killed. You know, and the father, he's stealing $9 million. Uh, he has this addiction. Sorry for that, but he's ripping his law firm off. He's ripping his uh, his clients off and everything else. You know, people can only fake things for so long. Things are not as they seem regarding all of this. And I, I know in this article, he's, you know, they're saying, well, he killed his, his daughter or his son and wife to distract from what he did. I don't know if I would necessarily uh, write it that way um, and, and think it actually happened that way. I think he killed them because he knew it was all going to come out and that probably he was going to get a divorce and – you know, we know how those do you think how do you think he's going to do in court when they find out that he ripped off all this money and it was lying to people and, and everything else? How do you think he's going to do in divorce court? Not too well. And not, of course, and on top of everything else, we can't forget about how he paid a friend of his to shoot him on the road. We can't forget about that, which is not included in this story as well. I don't even know if they're allowing that in. For the trial, I'm not sure some of you others would know if they've allowed that story into the trial or not. But I think it's that. I think that he just didn't want his family to find out how much of a loser he was and how he'd been lying to them and everything else. It was embarrassing them. So instead of offing himself, 
he decided to off them. A horrible, he couldn't stand the humiliation of it. Uh, and like I said, not to mention the, the, the divorce that would surely follow. Horrible, horrible, horrible guy. And certainly guilty of killing. I, I just, I mean, what do I know? I thought that Steve Pankey was going to be a hung jury the second time around. And of course, that's not what happened. So what do I know? But surely this jury is going to find him guilty of doing these things to the fullest extent of the law. Surely, right? Uh, you know, I've seen pictures, got the schnots coming out and everything else. This is one of those deals where the only thing he's sad about is they got caught. If, you know, if these things hadn't happened, uh, then he would still be carrying on doing what he was doing, still be ripping people off and everything else. And I, like I said, I feel bad that his son is not with us. I feel horrible that um, that he was murdered. But I also know that it's very possible that given their status in that in that community, in that area, very well could be that this, this son could have got off and gotten somebody else killed again, doing some other, you know, maybe drinking and driving or another boating accident. I, I can't dismiss that idea simply because they just think they could do no wrong. So... Uh, what's everybody saying? Um, Ferry says they weren't getting out of the be- uh, the boat accident. Yeah, that seems like the boat accident was is what's just weird how one thing like that can trigger all this other stuff. And thank God for the video recording. Uh, Katie says the murder is sickening. Um, the pro wrestling encyclopedia while wow, was here tonight. Well, welcome. That's probably a pretty big encyclopedia, although I'm not a pro wrestling fan. I watched a live. I agree. He's guilty and gives me the creeps. Uh, thank you for uh, getting in the chat tonight. Good to see you, the pro wrestling encyclopedia. I love that. Fairy, she would, even though, like I said, I don't want pro wrestling. Uh, Fairy, she would not have put up with all that. She certainly would have. Um, Sheree says, I've seen polls and actually 30% are falling for his defense. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sheree, we know you pull. Um, even when it comes to the Earth being flat, I just I don't know what the. I mean, that's certainly you'd certainly like. I mean, Sheree would certainly like that to be zero, but I don't think there's any poll that you could do any topic. You know, at least in the United States, where some response is going to be zero and something like that. I mean, even when it comes to the Earth being flat, you poll 500 people and probably going to find. Five percent of them who say yes. So, but I, I'm you know if it's thirty percent, if that's a true number, if that is representative of the jury itself, then I, I guess, I guess that's going to be a hung jury. I just, man, you hope not though. There's certainly I, I would say this. I mean, certainly there's more proof that he killed his son and wife than there is. That Steve Pang, I mean, for the rest of my life, I don't even care how long I live on I live, but this is always going to be the conspir- the comparison. I'm only going always going to compare it to the Steve Panky trial. As you know, 
Uh, I'm inclined to not think that Steve Pankey killed Janelle Matthews, but even so, I'm surely, surely, surely not convinced that the prosecution proved it. But surely when it comes to this Murdoch trial and Alex Murdoch being a killer, I mean, surely if Steve Pankey can be proven of, uh, you know, be proven to have murdered Janelle Matthews, then Alex Murdoch is that in about times like a billion, 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 Google, billion, billion, Google, trillion, Google, billion. And if you don't know, yes, Google is a number, just like billion, trillion. That's Google was a word that existed before the search engine came along. So, uh, but wow, did, did that all fall apart fast for that family? But it looked like it had been rotting for a long time. A long time. Rockford, Kyrie Irving is for sure falling uh, for the defense. Uh, I know that he is an NBA player, and that is all that I know, Rockford. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't Maybe Kyrie should just stick to playing basketball. Moving on, uh, another story. Uh, Deborah, I bet 15% believe that it very well could be, Deborah. Kyrie Irving is also a prominent flat earther. Well, Okay, I hope he doesn't fall off it one of these days then. Um, moving on, uh, as I was telling Shri earlier today, uh, this is a story that continues to fascinate me, even though it hasn't even gone to trial yet, but I'm going to read uh, some about it. In fact, I just I, I talked about this a few months ago, but they're still um, doing all this pre-trial stuff, and you know they're not even to an actual trial, unlike the Alex Murdoch, where it's actually a trial where there's going to be a judgment here soon. This hasn't even gotten to that yet. Attorneys representing accused Florida killer clown, clown Sheila Keen Warren are asking a judge to allow them to include details about an inmate who allegedly bragged about carrying out the 1990 murder for which the, their client has been charged, records show. A main inmate named Edgar Barr or Bear boasted to a cell block neighbor decades ago that he murdered a woman in Wellington, Florida. He allegedly made similar statements to correction staff while also incarcerated in Connecticut. When confronted by police about his alleged crimes, Bear told the detective he would tell them everything he knows concerning the death of Marlene Warren if the detective could promise that he would not get the electric chairs. Sounds like Steve Pankey too. But when the detective told Bear that he could not promise that, Bear requested to speak to an attorney before answering any more questions. The latest motion, and of course this guy is surely lying, like I think that Steve Pankey was lying. The latest motion comes as a judge is already mulling several other requests from the defense team, including that he dismissed the case altogether because lawyers argue the prosecution dragged their feet too much on bringing charges. The latest motion comes as a police arrest Sheila Keen Warren, uh, September 26, 2017, 27 years after Marlene Warren's death, investigators learned Keen Warren, who was married to someone else at the time in 1990, went on to wed Marlene Warren's husband in 2002. This is the part of this whole story that continues to like boggle my mind. The pair had been living in Tennessee, where the, uh, and I'll get to that in a bit. The pair had been living in Tennessee where they operated a restaurant, police said. Defense attorneys have argued the prosecutors suspect Warren's husband was involved in the murder scheme, though he's never been charged in connection with the crime. 
Marlene Warren, 40 years old, was shot and killed near Wellington, Adder Wellington, Florida, home Saturday, May 26, 1990, so just as I was ending my freshman year in college. Warren had just finished breakfast with her son and his friends around 10.45 a.m. when they sported a Chrysler LeBaron roll into the driveway. Chrysler LeBaron is like it was a, like a fancy K car back then. A person dressed in a clown as a clown exited the vehicle and walked to the front door. The police person dressed as the clown was carrying a flower arrangement and two balloons. One balloon reportedly bore the picture of Snow White. The other was emblazoned with the words, you're the greatest. Marlene answered the front door, and as the clown offered the items to her, witnesses heard a gunshot, and Marlene fell to the ground. Fell to the ground. The person dressed as a clown calmly walked back to the LeBaron and drove away. Warren suffered a gunshot wound to the face, and she died two days later. Over a year later, in August 1991, a Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office detective received a call from authorities in Maine who said a person, later identified as Bear, had confessed to the killing. According to the document, Bear gave a fellow inmate um, I've already gone through all of this. That he, he was the one who dressed up as the clown and shot the woman. Then her husband owned a used car lot named Bargain Motors. The young male had come out of one of the rooms right after the shooting. Both inmates were housed in solitary confinement at the time. He also allegedly told the inmate that a female biker type got the clown costume from the stoplight costume shop and that he was hired by the husband of the murder victim during a meeting at the Mermaid Bar. The inmate later said, sat for a recorded sworn interview in which he described how Bear said the Moran murder was the biggest thing he had ever done. He stated that in broad daylight, he dressed up as a clown, then he went up to the residence where the woman was living and knocked on the door and said, delivery, and she opened the door, he pointed the gun at her face and said, ha ha, and shot her in the face. Bear allegedly told the inmate this guy had offered him a substantial amount of money to kill his wife. The transcript continues. He said he wanted, he wanted his wife dead because she was divorcing him and she was she was to take over the car dealership. Attorneys described how he was known to brag about committing murders in Fort Lauderdale and the Metro Dade area. Bear was not in jail at the time of Warren's killing. When re-interviewed during a deposition in September 2022, Bear denied telling the inmate that he murdered Marlene Warren. He told investigators he did talk about the clown homicide, but only based on details he had seen reported in the news. But there was one glaring discrepancy. There was, however, no TV in solitary. Defense attorneys have also filed a motion seeking to exclude details related to a white Chrysler LeBaron convertible that was found in a Winn-Dixie parking lot after it had been reported stolen. And any evidence that was recovered from inside the vehicle, they argued that the vehicle is not the car driven by the clown and murdered Marlene Warren. The prosecutors previously said the DNA found inside the getaway vehicle tied Keen Warren to the crime. So what a story. And like I said, they haven't even gotten to a trial yet. This is all just pre-trial stuff, pre-trial motions, trying to exclude evidence and everything else. I'm wondering if they're going to play this one live on Court TV. I might actually watch this one. But like I said, I can't get enough of this story because the big issue to me is, did this woman in 1990 really kill this woman and then marry then hold out or whatever until 2002 to marry this guy. See what is really missing. And I, and I've tried to find this information. I've uh, been unsuccessful is we need to know more information about how this alleged killer. Let me go back and get her name again up here at the top of the story. We need more information about how 
uh, Sheila Keen Warren met her future husband. We need more information. Did she know that family at the time? Uh, Sheila Keen, I guess, would have been her name at the time, maybe of the shooting. So Sheila Keen, and then there's the victim, Marlene Warren. Did Sheila Keen know the Warrens back in 1990? And if not, how did she end up meeting uh, the guy that ended up being her husband, whose wife had been murdered in 1990? These are all things <coughs> that are still very unclear to me. I think if we knew that information, we would be able to put this all together. Um and better, and then maybe Sheree's telling me what I want to know here. Um, the Rose says, I turned five in 1990. I have a killer clown is tell her tale. Yeah, clowns are scary. Anyway, Katie. Sheree says, he went to prison during that time, so the husband went to prison during that time. That's why she waited. Her boyfriend was friends with him. So Sheila Keene's boyfriend, although she says she was married to somebody else at the time, knew Marlene Warren's husband. And then years later, 12 years later, she ends up marrying that Mr. Warren. And they were still married at the time that she was charged with the murder of Marlene Warren. That is crazy. Of course, we can't rule. If that's the case, then, Sheree, then we can't rule out the idea that maybe Marlene Warren was murdered due to her husband getting somebody to murder her. Just, man, how how long do you want to hold off on getting married after something like that? 12 years, you know, is, is not a short time in human years. It's a short time in the history of the world. But 12 years can be a long time to wait for something like that. And I'm sure maybe they were living together, dating, or whatever they were, they were doing. But once it gets past like that two or three year mark, uh, would that then not have been safe enough to get married then? Why wait till 12 years later? This is what, these are all the things uh, that kind of uh, go on in my mind. I guess the other thing that catches my eye that as I'm reading this story is, I'm not saying women can't be mechanically inclined. They certainly can, but... um. How did Sheila Keen learn how to steal a car? It's because this car, as it says, they believe this Chrysler LeBaron convertible that was later found. They believed that to be the getaway vehicle, the vehicle that was used by the clown on that day. Um, did Sheila Keen learn how to hotwire Chrysler LeBaron convertible? And how did she learn to do that? And, you know, I've been around cars my whole life. I used to be a drag racer. I used to work on them. I have no idea how to hotwire a car, whether it's a 1990 car or certainly not a 2023 car. You probably can't even do that now. But, you know, I wouldn't even know where to start with something like that. Obviously, she did. Or somebody did. So... These are a bunch of questions uh, that I have, and, and not to mention how did it how did it really then all come together that these two became a couple and got married? And uh, did Sheila know that 
that guy's uh, wife had been murdered. Did he tell her about it? I guess the, I guess what Sharia is saying is they actually did know e- know each other back at the time. It's just oh baby, I, it's just so um, crazy. Um, definitely need to know how she met her future husband, how long they were together before they got married. Lots of info on that court TV 50 minute special. I missed it. Yes. And the three of them were committing crimes together. So it was Sheila, her man and Mr. Warren who were all, uh, together. What kind of crimes, uh, Sheree fairy gosh, does that murder sound like the one with the star Wars theme? And I don't know that one. Rockford, Katie, don't look up the Joel Loveland, Llewellyn Loveland case then. The clown leaving the bar after the victim and then ending up in tears in another bar after the murder. Shree uh, says, you think that Marlene Warren's husband was in jail for nine years. Wow, what did he do? Yeah, send that to me, please. Uh, Deborah says, I can hotwire some cars. Can you, Deborah? Wow, oh, right. We are far ahead of me then. Sheree, she dressed up like a prostitute, and the two men stole a car. Uh, odometer setting, the one she was having, uh, the garage, the one she was having, the garage sale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the one. I know that story, too. I think I even talked about that on the live show last year, Ferry, about the woman who was having the garage sale. She's out there early in the morning, and then another woman comes up and shoots her. Right. I remember that one too. It's just all so crazy. All, um, it's very sad. Very sad. I just can, cannot imagine uh, a child being there. His mother goes to answer the door and she's murdered right there on the, um, at the front door. Of course, maybe within the last six months, I talked about a similar murder once again, coincidentally here in Florida. Maybe you remember there was a story uh, from some years ago that's still unsolved about a, a pilot who I guess lived by himself that uh, he answered the front door of his place and was just shot right there in the doorway of his own house. And that's something that's still unsolved. I don't think that's from this area of Florida. I think it's from the Atlantic coast of Florida over that way somewhere. But that has all this kind of the same feelings uh, as this one. So, and uh, maybe put that on my list of things to maybe look that one up a little bit more. Uh, Shree says Elizabeth Bazaar. Yeah, that's Elizabeth Bazaar was the woman running the uh, garage sale that got shot. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I talked about that. In fact, there was like a video. There was a video. Somebody had a video from down the street. It's very grainy because it's very early in the morning, like six in the morning. But the car pulls up, shoots the woman. Woman person or woman gets back in the car, drives away. And uh, I think at the time when I was commenting on that story some months ago, I said, I think you got to look at the, at, yeah, the the woman who ended up being the the widow the widower's next squeeze i think aaron stoner has done some fine work on liz bazaar on youtube so i've heard compelling stuff you and jada had a conversation about it i believe okay sure yeah me and uh john lorden okay right okay 
Uh, maybe we need to uh, kind of end this section of the of the live show tonight with a, a happy story. So I, I did put out all these murders and things, uh, you know, gold and everything. Let's end uh, this part uh, on a happy note. Is it Topson or Topsham? I'm not sure. Two main women with intellectual disabilities who had been missing for days have been found safe. Topsham police said they found Kimberly Bouchard and Angela Bussell on Sunday. The two uh, women with intellectual disabilities um, had been lost for several days since trying to drive to the main mall, M-A-I-N-E, like the state mall. According to police, Bouchard, Bouchard and Bussell were driving around the border of Maine, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire on Tuesday. Both had spoken with the Exeter, New Hampshire Police Department on Tuesday to get proper directions like last Tuesday. Police say Pritchard's cell phone pinged in the Candia, New Hampshire area on Tuesday. I know I'm butchering these names. On Wednesday evening, their car had been seen at the Martins in Lincoln, Maine. The car had been seen heading south on Route 155 towards Enfield. Finally, on Sunday, Topshin police reported that Bouchard and Bustle were located near Nicotus Lake in East Hancock, Maine. Members of the Maine Warden Service escorted Bouchard and Bustle to awaiting medical services. CBS 13 spoke with Patsy Bouchard, uh, Bouchard, Kim's mother, Sunday night. She's saying how thankful she is that her daughter is coming home. Oh, gosh, you don't know how I feel tonight. I just feel so relaxed. And my baby girl is coming home. We're going to hug and kiss her, Patsy said. God told me that they were going to be found this afternoon and safe and sound, and look what happened. The Pushard family told CBS 13 that both Kim and Angela Purcell were cheated to at a nearby hospital. They were back home as of Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Uh, very fortunate that... These two women did not run into some unscrupulous types in their travels, you know, asking the wrong person for directions. Very, very fortunate. They were lucky they weren't in uh, a more populated areas of the United States. They were lucky that they weren't in some shadier parts of the United States. Uh, they're just very lucky that everybody who they ran into. Now, obviously, they did not follow the directions very well, maybe because of their intellectual abilities or for some other reason. But they are very fortunate that it seems they ran into good people who were actually trying to help them. Because this could have gone badly very, very quickly. Very quickly. And I, I think back, you know, to look at this another way, I think about that couple who were in, this is like from a year ago or something now, there was a couple from Oregon who had an RV and they were towing a vehicle on the back. And were they going from Oregon to, I think, Arizona? And somehow they got lost and ended up on a dirt road out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada, I think it was. And it seems like the guy decided he got stuck or something and he was going to go for help and he died. And the woman just barely survived. 
And I think, like I said, I think I even talked about that uh, even before they were found. That because that was a story for a while that I talked about it while they were still missing. But these are just how things uh, can go sometimes. We're very fortunate that these two women, uh, they stayed on main roads, that they didn't you know, get onto some back road, onto some dirt road, and not be able to turn around because it's too narrow and get stuck or whatever else, run out of gas. I mean, there are so many um, bad things that could have happened. Because they were gone for more than just a day or two. This was like a week. They're just cruising around out there. And, um, you know, running into people. But nobody who knew that they were actually missing who could say, you know what? You just wait here. I'm going to call 911. Fortunately, this, uh, this this is how fine the line can be between a happy ending and a disappearance that stumps people maybe forever. That is how fine a line it is. Because had they had gone missing and that they and their car were not, you know, just, you know, months and months and months of not being found, what would we be thinking? They just, you know, we might be thinking, given their mental abilities, maybe they got tricked by somebody. Maybe got lured by somebody. Or they really just didn't know where they were going, made a wrong turn, and uh, drove into a lake or something else in the middle of the night, not realizing that it was like a boat ramp or something. All sorts of possibilities. I'm so happy uh, that these two women are safe and sound. But we also have to remember, this is also shows... My perception is that these two women, uh, it was very common for them to drive together, be together, and go on their cars. I don't know how common it was for them to try to go to this mall or whatever, but she had a driver's license. But it just shows you that when we are talking about people, whether it has to do with dementia or Alzheimer's, and this is going to kind of come into play this coming Friday – for this coming Friday's disappearance, although a car is not involved, or we think back at some uh, disappearance like David Hardy Jr. from a few years ago that Unfound discovered. It just shows you how somebody going out and going for a drive one day and coming back fine does not mean the next day that they're going to go out and come back fine. They might not come back at all. We might draw another analogy to people who do drugs, who shoot up, shoot up, shoot up, no problems. They're handling, you know, they shouldn't be doing, of course, can possibly kill them. And it's, we know what it does to that person and families and everything else. But they do the same amount of drugs over and over and over and they never overdose. And then the next time they do overdose and die. It's kind of what I think of when I think about a story like this, that it's such a fine line. <clears throat> um, uh, Shri, you're leaving. Uh, thanks for sticking around as long as you did tonight. Shri has uh, important work uh, to do uh, tomorrow that she told me about. Good luck on that, Shri. Rockford, Lorden does great work too. I just watched the Lane Bryan episode he just released. It's very well done. Uh, Pro Wrestling said John Lorden has gotten me watching YouTube crime shows back when they started. Okay. 
Kathy Rockford, I watched that program a couple days ago and never heard about it before. Spent several hours doing more research the next two days. Why they chose that business is weird. There's still good people in the world. Yeah. Uh, luckily, people did not. These people who encountered these two women did not take advantage of them. It sounds like everybody was trying to help them. It's just these two women uh, either were not taking their advice in the directions or just could not you know, process what the people were telling them. Um, now Rockford, Kathy, my wife grew up in the walking distance from that store and I was living in Chicago at the time. It's still perplexing me. I think about it a lot. I have no idea what you two are talking about, uh, regarding what was it? The lane. What was this called? The lane Bryant. I know what lane Bryant is. So it was a store, I guess. Lane Bryant episode. I, yeah, I don't know what that is. Kathy Rockford. Uh, yeah, I was talking about, uh, Rockford. So they're talking back and forth. Okay. So they're talking back and forth about, uh, were there murderers or something? Uh, that's all right. No, you don't have to apologize, Rockford. That's totally fine. Um, so there was their murder or something in Elaine Bryant. There were murders or something like that. That's what happened. Or somebody disappeared from Elaine Bryant store, I guess. Okay. I may uh, cover disappearances and I'm in the true crime community. Um, but I surely do not know every case, uh, that has ever happened. In fact, you know, once in a while, you know, I will, you know, get an email, from somebody and they'll ask me, Hey Ed, what do you think about this particular disappearance? And I'll just write back to them and say, you know what? Um, I've not heard of it. And it, sometimes people write back, what do you mean you never heard of it? You know, as if I'm a walking Rolodex of a hundred thousand disappearances. I'm not, it's not, uh, there was an execution, uh, six women shot, five died. Wow. Okay. And that's still a mass murder. Five, one survivor, nine, one call bay. Made officer just 100 yards or so away. And I guess it's still unsolved. Okay. So that was all the new stuff. What else? Is there any unfound stuff? Well, a um, couple things before I get to this Friday's episode. Uh, the newest Unfound Now episode came out for Patreon supporters and uh, members of this channel today. Got that done. For all of you who are not Patreon supporters or members of the channel, you should be. You should go sign up right now. Uh-uh. You will have to wait until next week before I make uh, that particular episode uh, pub, uh, available to everybody. But I got that done today. And then, actually, I know Sheree is uh, checked out for tonight, but I have a meeting coming up this Saturday with my assistants, Eric and Sheree. We're going to be doing these meetings uh, once a month, going over what's going on with Unfound and how things are progressing in a variety of areas um, for Unfound. And because uh, a lot of things, of course, are going on and I'm getting their input, and this is something that I've not done before, but so far I've found it to be very constructive. So I'm going to be talking to them, having a Zoom meeting with them on Saturday morning. I also have a call on Saturday to make. And then also uh, the newest uh, Unfound on the Ground, which is a, a series that is done for premium Patreon members, but then is eventually made public. The newest one from last month, or maybe going back to, to December, 
is now available for everybody to watch right here on this YouTube channel. So I think that is about everything. Anything else? Um, uh, any other personal stuff? Disc golf have been practicing. Was going to get out today. Too busy. Maybe I'll get out tomorrow. Maybe not. Hard to say. But I've um, certainly this past week, I certainly did got some good practicing. Probably practicing I should have done before I was in that tournament last weekend. And I told you about uh, maybe last week, just toward the end, I'm continuing with this singing class. It's a tutorial that runs for about 280 days. And I think I'm on day 27 or 28, something like that. So there are certain uh, warm-ups and scales and things uh, that you do with your voice. And of course, they progressively get more difficult. We get deeper into how to expand your range and, and all of that. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. And now it was a, like a kind of a resolution for 2023. And so I'm taking this online singing class and I'm enjoying it uh, so far. And I hope, you know, maybe by uh, September, October, you know, my real goal, here's my goal. I want to be able to go to a karaoke night and sing a lot of these songs that I can't sing right now because like they're out of my range, like Photograph by Def Leppard or maybe a, an Iron Maiden song or something like that. I would actually like to be able to sing those songs decently well in the key in which they were written. Because as you would guess, uh, a lot of this music that you hear, especially rock and roll, heavy metal um, it's out of the range of most male singers. Even if you can carry a tune, which I can, I'm pretty good with, you know, being in key, but the range is what usually keeps most guys from singing that stuff in karaoke or something. Even if you go to see a band, if they attempt any of that music, it's usually like turn down a couple keys or whatever else. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to sing just, as the way the, the songs were written. So I'm working on expanding my range and breathing and all those things. So I'll let you know, uh, how that all goes. Um, Rockford says, thanks for the unfound now and unfound on the ground cases Ed, you will give me a lot to chew on this week as I wait for the next podcast episode. I'm going to talk about that in a second. A lot of homework in front of me. Well, Rockford, I love giving other people work. Uh, Rockford, we can Californians have no idea what to do with ourselves when it's raining. So great timing with the unfound extras. Yeah, you've been having some really weird uh, weather out there. Um, my friend Suzanne has sent me some pictures from the L.A. area with down trees and everything else. And uh, OK, so this Friday. We're going to the state of Georgia just north of me, for the disappearance of Barbara McRae, M-C, capital C-R-A-Y. This is not a disappearance. You will not find this disappearance on the Charlie Project or on NamUs. My assistant, Emily, doing fantastic work these days, finding disappearances like this one. Uh, it's fairly new, too. From July 31st of 2021, Barbara was 83 years old at the time. She disappeared from Cedartown, Georgia. 
Haven't come up with the title of the episode yet, though. But uh, Barbara had been diagnosed with dementia. She was living with her son, Todd. And allegedly, she went out for a walk that July evening. It was nice out. It was six in the evening and never came back. And despite all these searches with ATVs and dogs, everything else, she is still missing a year and a half later. The guest is her granddaughter, Amy Coleman. Yes, another Amy. That's the fourth Amy this year. Crazy. I, I, once again, I don't know how these things happen. But her granddaughter, Amy Coleman, is the guest. And I'm thinking this episode's probably going to run maybe an hour and 40 minutes, something like, something like that. But, of course, you'll have to figure out, did she walk off uh, due to her dementia did she walk off at all did somebody pick her up these are things that you will have to decide once you hear uh what amy has to say maybe this remind might remind us of the disappearance of david hardy jr who was also diagnosed with alzheimer's before he went missing jack hemby another older person uh from some years ago from new mexico uh we covered his disappearance about three years ago from rio doso downs new mexico and then more recently, maybe Milda McQuillan. Remember, she was well into her 70s when she went missing and her car was found abandoned out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. So that's this Friday. Mar- Barbara McCray, MC, capital C-R-A-Y. You could try to Google it. You might find a few things, but you're not going to find anything on NamUs or on the Charlie Project. So, um, And so once again, I my, how Emily finds the, these disappearances... She just works her magic. That's all I can tell you. How is she not on Namus? Uh, good question. Um, I can assure you that her family will be laboring, uh, will be working to put her on there. Um, so there you go. That is the live show for February 27th, 2023. Covered a lot of different topics tonight about swearing, about Rosemary's Baby, about some other movies and all sorts of other things in these two hours. And um, I enjoy it. I always enjoy it. And that's all I have for you tonight. I hope you all stay safe out there wherever you may be. Stay healthy. And you will hear me on Friday for Friday's episode. If... um. And of course, you always want to email me, got something to ask, got something to say. You can always find me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Good night. See you, Charlie. Say hi to the boys for me. See you.